Hey there, folks. Welcome to episode 44 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. My name is Rob Woods, and this is the show for anyone who works in charity fundraising and who wants ideas for how to raise more money, enjoy their job, and make a bigger difference. And if you'd like ideas to help you more confidently embrace very difficult or even impossible seeming challenges in this demanding fundraising environment in 2020 and 2021, I think you're going to enjoy this episode. Because today I'm talking to Max Newton, who's Head of Community Fundraising at the UK homelessness charity Shelter. I first met Max four years ago when he took part in our Corporate Partnerships Mastery Programme. Max is a brilliant, innovative fundraiser, but that's not the only reason I wanted to share his ideas on the podcast. Over the last eight months, I've found it fascinating and encouraging to watch the positive way that Max and his colleagues at Shelter have responded to the challenges of 2020. But to me, the story starts around a decade ago, when Max quit smoking and took up running. In time, he progressed to running ultramarathons, and over the years, he's found that the lessons he's learned by doing these extraordinary challenges have also helped him as a professional fundraiser. Here's the first part of our interview. Max Newton, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's budgeting season, so it is fun, fun, fun. Yes. Oh, I'm glad you've been enjoying that process. <laughs> and thank you for taking a break from it to do this interview with me. Just to set it up, you, uh, you've been a fundraiser for many years. You are the head of community fundraising at Shelter. And I think you and I met um, when you were a community fundraising manager at the British Red Cross. And I was when I was a community fundraiser at the British Red Cross. Okay. Um, and we've enjoyed various interesting conversations over the years. The one I particularly want to talk about today, we are going to talk about fundraising and leadership to an extent, but the particular reason I got you onto this podcast interview was to do with your one of your hobbies, which is ultra running. And uh, some of the things that you've learned through that hobby that you have noticed have also helped you as a leader and a manager and a, as a fundraiser. So just to uh, get us into the right zone, uh, what is ultra running? Briefly, how did you get into it? And then if you could lead on to this latest crazy feat you did, which was the Tunnel Ultra. Also, well, ultra running is usually running anything over 30 miles, um, but could be many, many more miles. Um, I got into it by, um, uh, I gave up smoking, needed to do some running to make up for that, did a half marathon, got sponsored, did a marathon, got sponsored. And I thought, well, they know that I can do run that distance now, all my sponsors, all my friends. So how do I get more money out of my friends and family? Um, and then I discovered that um, I run that was from London to Brighton for 56 miles. And consequently, every year since then, I've needed to go further or crazier in order to um, be able to ask my friends for money um, for the charity and also to challenge myself and um, and and push push my boundaries and get a feeling of excitement from doing something different and challenging. Um, and so the latest one was um, the Tunnel Ultra, which was 200 miles back and forth in a cold, dark tunnel um, with no headphones, no outside support, um, 
Yeah. Uh, and had to run it in 55 hours was the time limit, which meant no sleep whatsoever. And the previous year was the first year it had been run and 40 people started and only two people finished. So I thought that sounds like something that will um, get people interested in sponsoring me. And that sounds like something that I don't think I can do. So let's go for it. Mm. And um, I finished. Yeah. So, so what, where did you uh, place? Um, I was the fourth finisher in um, 50 hours and something. You, you lose track of time a little bit, but it was within the time limit. Um, yeah, there's only a few times where I was falling asleep whilst running. Um, so yeah, it, it was an amazing experience. Um, got to do a lot of, bit of thinking, but also thinking about nothing for quite a bit of time um, and raised a, a nice amount of money for the British Red Cross. Yes, and I can vouch for the power of choosing something that's just a bit different or a bit bit harder than people think one should be capable of doing and the effect that has given that your main motivation you've talked about so far has been how could i get more sponsorship money the effect that has on someone who might be willing to sponsor you it absolutely worked because uh, you let me know in advance and uh, i think i sponsored you um just before you started which was at friday tea, tea time on a friday and then i set off running and i I think I just um, I may have mentioned it to, to, to my family, but I remember getting up on the Saturday morning at a little, you know, I was a bit annoyed that I'd woken up earlier than I wanted to on a Saturday morning and mildly grumpy at 7.30 or whatever. And I, I at some point I checked what was going on on social media and, and, and it just jolted me that I'd had my seven hours sleep or whatever and you'd had not a single moment's sleep and you'd run so far two two and a half marathons or something and you still had another whatever it was 140 miles to go 150 miles to go and i just i tried to get my head around that truth and i as i was trying to do that i explained it to, to my son and he said what i i thought the the most you're allowed to run is a marathon <laughs> isn't that 26 miles and, and i just the two of us we felt that our understanding of the limits of how much a person can run for we were just wrestling with that. We were, I mean, I'd heard you tell me 200 miles, but I hadn't, it hadn't truly sunk in that you were now going to have to keep going for the further two days or whatever. And my whole family on Sunday afternoon kept asking me, how's he doing? How's his knee? He's on the 186 mile mark and his knee, knee is agony, but he's going to, his dad said he's going to do his best to finish. And so my whole family cheered when your dad tweeted <laughs> you'd got over the line 200 miles and and that had several effects it, it caused us to sponsor you a second time including my son wanting to daddy can i yeah, sponsor his piggy bank <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and on sunday morning him deciding to go for a i mean he's a sporty boy anyway but he decided to go for a run he's never gone for a run before when there hasn't been a ball around so it just had this um, effect of ca capturing our imagination. And I think uh, so that's part of why I can see how it's enabled you to raise a lot of sponsorship money for good causes over the years. Um, I guess a, a key thing I want to get into for this interview is 
what are some things that the doing of this hobby that most people would flat out say is just not possible because 26 miles is really hard maybe 50 miles is hard but 200 miles with barely sleeping it's either in the category of extraordinarily difficult or many people actually until they heard this interview may have said it was just not possible the act of you gradually in the last eight to ten years uh, pushing those limits and and discovering that these things are possible i'd like to know what lessons you have learned along the way in this journey and um because i know that you've also they've helped you as a fundraiser and a fundraising leader so um over to you really what are what are what's one of the the lessons that that you're now a little wiser on than you would have been 12 years ago before you started this hobby yeah, it's good. Good questions, and I think um, like the one is to take the leap of faith to 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 look over the parapet at the that something that is scary, and um, you know, every, so every time I've signed up for these runs, it's been scary for me and difficult to do, and um, yeah, but 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 it can be done because other, other people are doing them. Um, so I guess there's sort of two bound up in there. One is sort of to sort of in, in the workplace in, in fundraising and in leading a team, there's, you know, we, we could make incremental, um, increases in our income budget, you know, by 3% year on year, or we could really go for something. We could go for transformational change. We could, you know, really seek out that partnership that will create something really, really massive for the organization and and you know immeasurably help the lives of so many more people but that's scary because that's sort of um almost like trying to uh bust out of what the organization the sector society says are the the limits the the maximum that you can do and yeah they're artificial they're artificially imposed limits and, and restrictions um and yeah we've definitely seen that with um you know some of the big uh, emergency appeals that we we you know had at the British Red Cross, and you know right now we're talking about you know transformational change, um, and that's quite scary. And and like how much money do you need? How many hundreds of thousands of pounds do you need to create this huge transformational change in your department? And that's quite scary because that's not what I've been used to. Um, so like I, so right now it's I'm sort of leaning on the lessons learned from taking a leap of faith, but with, you know, but obviously with, with planning and good reason and, and, and et cetera. And I think, um, very much related to that, like I said, there's other people, there are other people doing it. And a real key thing in terms of the, the ultramarathon running and in fundraising, in leadership, in, life i guess is um you know who are the i think you would call them the bright spots so who are the people that are already doing it who are the people that are showing that these limits aren't the limits that you can do whether it be running or or anything else um and how did they get there how could they you know part of it is the gives you confidence that you know you're not the first person ever to do this and you won't be in almost anything that we do so is that something you, you you deliberately did uh, and it helped you 
in the early stages of trying to run further, you'd sort people who were already doing it. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's, um, I mean, there's, like I said, there's lots of people that are already doing it. There's books that are written. There's, um, there's films to watch. Um, I could send you a link of uh, 50 greatest films about ultramarathon running that are all available on YouTube, if you like. Um, some of which are quite, some of which are watchable. Um, and so there's, there's the, there's like the amazing people that are smashing it out of the park and that are doing like running the length of New Zealand over seven days and things like that, um, which I'm miles away from being. Um, but there's also the people that are, that are running 50, you know, 50, 100, 200 miles that you can pick up the phone and speak to and, and connect with on Facebook or LinkedIn and chat with and arrange a call with. And, um, yeah, you know, one, ones where it's more, they, they are pushing, the, you know, they are um, not being restricted by those artificially imposed limits, but they're also, they're not, they're not Superman or Superwoman. They're, they are real people and normal people. So I suppose clearly some of what you're going to get from reading those books, or even if you're fortunate enough to have a chat with one of those people and in some sense they become mentor-like to you, clearly one of the things you get get that's valuable is tactics about belief systems or diet or training techniques or equipment or whatever but i'm sensing and that's valuable but the the bigger value is you're exposing yourself to a world in which yes this is very possible it's very doable it's even normal to us and the more you get references that are contrary to your previous belief that it's not possible, the more everything it you know more likely to follow through on any of the tactics because sudden, suddenly the possible becomes genuinely possible in your belief system. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And um, yeah, there's, there's yeah definitely that exposure to it and um, it is huge and and def- and also specific tactics and specific things to look for and um but also within those communities whether it be sort of the running or the fundraising there's still you you will still have the conversations where you go yeah but but that but that's ridiculous but that that running event is ridiculous like in the um you know at the start of the tunnel ultra you'll all stand around sort of with that sort of um gallows humor about how horrible it's going to be and um you know and and so on and how we'll be going mad and seeing things and and so on and i think in the it's so even in in the fundraising world and sort of i guess leadership world there's still things that still even if you are surrounding stuff with the you know the people that are doing that stuff stuff that seems one step beyond and um and i think um I think the thing that I've learned in both of those contexts is to sort of try and find that thing that you enjoy about the challenge. Yes. Um, you know, and what would be the, you know, how, ama- how amazing would it be if we won this partnership with this organization, um, even though it's an incredible amount of work to do and stressful and, maybe working longer hours and you know and pulling in lots of other stuff within the organization to come to a head but you know just that sort of focus on like wouldn't it be amazing if we pulled it off like 
that would be cool, right? Like Rob would make another donation and his son would go out running and that's pretty awesome. Um, and similarly, you know, we would, you know, the value that would have brought to the organization and to people's lives would be tremendous. Um, and that, I think, I found that that really helps me through when like you're slogging over budgets or slogging over miles in the tunnel uh, or, yeah, or anything else, if that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely does. So uh, I, I have understood there's a paradox. If you just go for quite a long run or a 3% incremental increase in how much you can raise compared to last time, on the, the good side is, oh, it seems very manageable and you've got a good chance of hitting hit, you know, The odds are in your favour. The bad side is it, it's unlikely to unlock this extra excitement that comes that that is the flip side of scary yeah so yeah yeah as long as we can find a live a way to live with the scary long enough we get the massive extra dopamine hit of the exciting and the tactic i'm hear, hearing you do is there may be various things about these very long runs which are not exciting to you but your tactic is what is it about this new challenge be it a fundraising or a a running challenge that I could get excited about and yeah. ask yourself for that, the more you tend to find something that for you pulls you on, gets you excited enough to, you know, really go the extra mile, forgive the pun, and just do something different and better. And that's where lots of the juice is because you're really feeling that bit more alive because yeah. now it's an exciting challenge. Yeah. And I think that's, that's like exciting and good for me. And, but also like you, you mentioned earlier with like yourself sponsoring me twice. Thank you very much. And, um, and your son sponsoring and going for a run, but like it pulled, like it's exciting for the people as well. Like you watch, I know, um, th there's a thing in ultramarathon running about dot watching. Uh, so you can, you can log in and watch the dots and see how far somebody's gone, which must be terribly, terribly boring. Um, but not perhaps not as boring as running through a tunnel. Um, but um, like I know um, Paul Amardi, who's the um, head of director of fundraising at the Red Cross, was at a uh, a big ball um, in Edinburgh while I was doing it. And I know that while he was sat at dinner, he was checking, he was watching the dots on his phone to see how I was doing. And um, I guess that translating that into fundraising, I, I'm, I'm head of community fundraising. Community fundraising is not usually seen as the most exciting type of fundraising in an organization um we find it really difficult often to be able to explain what we do to our fundraising colleagues let alone non-fundraising colleagues or or externally um so having something that is a big challenging potentially transformational thing in the same way the 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 tunnel run pulls in lots of interest and excitement from friends and family and colleagues and so on so setting your stall out with a big transformational um income target and project in community fundraising excites other parts of the organization and excites my colleagues in the corporate team in philanthropy in the comms and media and you know service colleagues to, to buy into it and and go for it as well um and yeah i think when we're talking in community fundraising, less about Mrs. Miggins' collection tins and more about um, uh, a £250,000 partnership with a, another organisation that we were successful with winning, 
that's very different. Just, yeah, it's very different. It just creates more opportunities and more avenues to, to raise more money and to build more relationships. Hi, it's Rob, and I wanted to jump into the middle of this episode really quickly to tell you about something I'm so excited about, which is the way that our Bright Spot Members Club has been helping fundraisers to not only survive, but also to do really well, to raise funds so effectively during the pandemic. Through the club, our 300 members get access to a whole library of my best training films, as well as regular live coaching sessions to help you handle whatever challenges are coming at you each week. And we've also found that handling these challenges has not just been about getting the right advice or strategy, it's also been about morale. And we've found that the encouragement and help that our members get from each other has really helped them to stay positive. If you're not yet a member, but you'd like to find out more, go to brightspotmembersclub.co.uk forward slash join. That's brightspotmembersclub.co.uk forward slash join. I would love to welcome you to the club and do my utmost to help you succeed in your fundraising. For now though, back to the session. And I wanted to ask Max what he's learned about creating buy-in from other people to new ambitious challenges. So congratulations, by the way, on the success of that huge partnership you and your team won recently, I gather. And I think this is some of why I wanted you on the podcast, because I've noticed that because you've got better at doing these things of embracing the the very difficult and, and A, getting yourself excited about it, and then B, managing to get others excited rather than, oh, it's too difficult. Uh, I've noticed that you bring some of those skills and belief systems and it helps you raise more money and, for instance, win this enormous uh, partnership worth worth more than £200,000 over uh, at least a couple of years, I think. So is there anything else you've learned about how to communicate the excitement of a thing and help people overcome the belief that it's scary or not possible yeah i think um it's like um i'm not perfect with that and my teams like we're not perfect with it you know it's, it's a journey it's always a journey and um and yeah it's always a journey and a place but we know where we want to get to i guess um so i guess quite a bit of that is around like bounce back ability and grit um i think the so the whole lockdown situation is felt i think for many many people out there like running through a tunnel for, two, for 55 hours in the dark um and i remember at the start was the start of lockdown a colleague said that um she couldn't it's just really, really difficult couldn't see the wood for the trees um there's just like so much to do so much uncertainty so much yeah and and actually that's the time for me when um so some of the runs that i've done i think like have included um running around a 400 meter athletic track in 24 hours so to see how far you could run in that time and whenever i told people about that they would be like you like you must be crazy you would go mad you know what 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 would you think about how would you stop yourself getting bored <clears throat> excuse me and because there's also also no headphones rule which seems to be a thing um but actually the the when you focused on the the the, the <clears throat> excuse me the big almost unattain, unobtainable prize at the end 
whether that be running for 24 hours around a track, um, running across Scotland, running in the tunnel, getting to the end of lockdown and still being able to raise some money and still having a team feels so out there and unobtainable. It it can be, I think it can be crippling. I think it's why the England football team always seem to panic and 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 almost like die and lose to Iceland because they think we're here, we have to win the World Cup. We have to win the World Cup. If we don't win the World Cup, we're gonna get slaughtered by the media when we get home. Um, whereas the the British cycling team don't focus on how to win the gold medals and, and how the glory or the failure, they focus on if I turn my pedals around 38 times a minute as opposed to 35 times a minute, we'll we'll get there. So there's that bit of um like having some processes and planning and trusting in those processes and planning. And it's all very well, like when things are going bad and when things are, you know, when the world's been turned upside down or when you are really stressed at work or running and, you know, in physical and emotional pain, that's when, that's when you need the plans. That's when to the plans come into effect. You're not making it up on the hoof. You're, um, you know that if I'm falling asleep whilst running, I need a sit down, a cup of tea, a pot noodle, and then I'll be then I'll be fine. Like you've got that built in, and I think really important to have those built in um, as a fundraising leader, and especially during these times of, of having those yeah plans of what to do when things go weird and, and wrong. Um, but back to the woods for the trees was to um, to not focus on the seemingly never-ending pandemic or tunnel, um, but to actually go from tree to tree. To So in the running terms is just actually lap to lap is fine. Um, usually when you've got such a big target miles and miles away, you break it down into pieces anyway in order to get there. And in those runs, it was already done for you. So when we, my, me and my now ex-colleague chatted, we said, sort of well, actually let's just go from tree to tree let's just pick it from tree to tree for now and you know trust our instincts trust our data and that that's the way to get through it and not get like yeah not get crippled by the the big prize or the the daunting objective yes and at the moment are you literally saying that means you run your day just try and do a good make this meeting go as well as i can or meet that deadline by lunchtime or are you are you uh, uh, when you say tree to tree are you focusing let's just handle this week rather than one worry about the this whole quarter's worth of pandemic related pain how do you do you do the tree to tree technique to quite deliberately focus your thinking what are what are the units you tend to use yeah i think that's why i think um i think it's important to have a strategy and uh and a strategy for different situations and and then really um trust the strategy because the the tree to tree are the the meetings and the um the conversations the 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 bits to get there um yeah so so in like in practical terms of sort of ordering the day it might be like that actually some days i'm not thinking about the big picture and the big stuff because we've done that we've we've done that bit of thinking we need to park that bit of thinking and 
and I need to speak to, you know, I need to speak to my assistant director about this. I need to sort this with finance. I need to delegate these tasks. I need to, I need to speak with Rob, um, you know, and so on and so on. And yeah. And yeah. Yes. Ma- mapping those out, I guess. And yes. we had a quite a good example, I think when, um, uh, at the start of lockdown with the 2.6 challenge that um, that was launched to sort of replace uh, lost event money. And here at Shelter, we decided it would sit with community fundraising. And um, I think we had like 10 days to turn it around for when it was announced or something like that. Um, and we could have gone, actually, that's impossible. We can't, we can't do it. It can't, you know, an organization like Shelter can't turn around, you know, getting a data list, um, of people to contact, of emailing, of paid and organic social, of the buying for things because there's a process, there's there's meet, you know, there's planning meet and so on and so on and so on. Um, but we went for it, and once we decided we're going for it, that's you know we're taking once you've taken that leap of faith, we've taken it right, and then then we're committed. Um, and so so you know we 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 mapped out you know who are the what are the steps? What are the specific steps that we need to do? Who are the conversations I need to have with the right people at the right level to just to bypass that process, to bypass the, I guess, the limitations that because that's not how this organization works, to get to getting all that comes out really quickly, to getting the support journey stuff set up, to um, really optim- amplifying the way we look after people. And for us, it was really, really successful. And I think that was... Yeah, we could have gone. We could have shriveled under the fear of that unobtainable thing. We could have got really stressed and stuck. Um, but I think once we'd set the target and then worked out what are the the, the tree to trees, what are the steps, um, then what I need to do is get the next one done, and let's let's worry about the others afterwards. But let's get let's let's get that one in, get that one done, and then the next. Thank you so much, Max, for all your ideas, your stories, your advice. I need to finish the interview very soon, but um, I really appreciate the time you've given to this. And I look forward to hearing about your next run in due course and your next fundraising exploits. But until the next time, Max Newton, thank you ever so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Max. Bye. Bye. So I hope you enjoyed hearing Max's take on how to embrace ambitious challenges. If so, please remember to subscribe to the podcast today as we've got plenty more interesting sessions lined up for you in the coming weeks. To see a full transcript and a summary of the episode, you can find those on the blog and podcast section of our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk. Today's episode was the first part of a longer session on growing your resilience as a fundraiser that Max and I created for the Brightspot Members Club. If you're not yet a member and you'd like to find out more about this training and inspiration site for fundraisers, do check it out at brightspotmembersclub.co.uk forward slash join. As well as the regular coaching sessions on a range of fundraising subjects, you can take advantage of the full library of training films and downloads and our super supportive community. If you're curious, you can just join for a single month to test for yourself how helpful these resources are for your fundraising. And if you'd like to get in touch with Max or me, we would love to hear from you. We're both on LinkedIn and on Twitter, Max is at Maximo Newton with a capital M and a capital N, and I'm at Woods underscore Rob. Lastly, 
Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope it was helpful. Until the next time, stay safe and good luck with all your efforts to make a positive difference. Bye.